Yes, Lord, we pray what Elisha prayed for his servant, that you would open our eyes so that we could see that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And Father, as we look at you now, I pray that we would see the love in your eyes. Truthfully, Lord, some of us are afraid if we saw you right now, we wouldn't see love, but we would see judgment and rebuke. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see all things through the clear lens of the gospel, that you so loved the world, that you so loved all of us, that you gave your only son, that you laid yourself down, and that you bring the broken back to life, risen Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are you risen, but you raise the broken. And Lord, we confess today, in so many ways we are broken. Our world is broken. Our country is broken. Our city is broken. And you're our only hope today. And we just declare our dependence on you today, Lord. So much for our independence. We can't live a second without you, Lord. We can, we can go a little while without water or food or even air for a little, little while. But we can't go without you at all. So we confess today unashamedly that we need you. That you're our only hope. Lord, let us see you now. Let us see the love in your eyes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, team, for great worship leadership today. Amen. It's good. Good to be together and uh, to share life together. At the beginning of a new year, I always do a state of the church address and, and typically start with a theme verse for the year. So here's our theme verse for the year, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful who has called you, that's plural, into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to say it together with you now. Are you ready? Let's say it together. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we want to understand what it means to live life in fellowship with Jesus Christ because God has called us and we live in this world where we're all trying to find our calling. And maybe we can make some progress toward that goal today. In a Dallas newspaper, there was a startling line in the real estate section, just two words that said, converted church. Would that get your attention? Converted church. And here's the story. Somebody was selling a converted church for $2 million. So a home had been converted into a church. The realtor said this is the biggest, the biggest movement. The buildings that are most often converted into homes these days are actually former churches. And this church for sale for $2 million had been converted into a home. And the kitchen area was the former altar. And these are the words they used to describe it. The former altar has been converted into a granite and stainless steel kitchen in homage to the cooking gods. That's what it said. The uh, choir loft converted into a home theater. The, um, the, the rest of the church converted into an exercise room, the, the baptistry into a soaking tub, if you can imagine. 
And, and, and listen to this, 11 bedrooms in this 15,000 square foot home. In fairness, people had probably slept in that building before. But does it make you feel any better, as he described it, that people can sleep well in a desanctified, converted church? It's kind of troubling, isn't it? I thought about, well, what about the people who used to worship there? Because the church has never been the building. Where are they now? Do they have a church home? We talk about a church home. We talk about brothers and sisters, and we all serve the same Father. And, and where, would, where would we worship without a building? And all of that made me think about, what would it be like to be part of a desanctified church? A church that had been converted And these days, the church is interesting. When you go to Europe, where I grew up, you see these fabulous buildings that in many senses have been turned into museums because nobody worships there anymore or not very many people. And we might look, as some do, out into the future, the horizon for the church in the western part of the world and say, well, maybe the future isn't isn't very bright. I mean, what's going to happen to all these buildings and, and all these uh, places where people used to worship? And my word to you is the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the most troubled churches in the New Testament world. And he spoke to them about their bright future. It's encouraging. Would you open your Bibles with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 9, that ninth verse, our theme verse for the year. I hope you'll memorize that with us. Some of you are memorizing fighter verses with us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 was our verse for this week. Next week we'll be in Romans 10, 13 to 15. You can get a list of them. Uh, if you don't want to buy the app, we'll be, be glad to help you with that. But let's hear the word of the Lord today, the state of the church, finding our calling. Let's stand together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. Paul started a church in Corinth. He and Priscilla and Aquila made tents by day and then he began to teach in the synagogues. Eventually he was sort of evicted from the synagogue and began to teach in a house next door. 
And all of this resulted in the foundation of a church. And the churches probably met in people's homes. We believe that there were different churches in different homes, but they came together like we did last week to have the Lord's Supper together. They came together on various occasions, and they were sort of scattered throughout the the city of Corinth. And when Paul writes to this church, we might read just these first nine verses and think, wow, what a great church. They must have been doing really, really well. But if you read the next 15 chapters, you discover they had some issues. For instance, they were divided over leadership, and some said, well, I follow Paul, and some say, I follow Apollos, and some say, I don't follow either one of those guys. I follow Jesus. Paul said, you're divided, and that's a problem. Beyond that, they had a member of the church who was living in immorality with his father's wife, and the church didn't care. And Paul said, you're puffed up, but you ought to be grieving over that, but instead you feel just fine about it. And he says, put that person out until they stop doing that, and that, that they might be redeemed. So, so discipline was not punitive, it was redemptive. We want to help you walk with the Lord. Some of them were, were taking each other to court, they were suing each other in the court. Christians suing each other in a pagan court, asking a pagan judge to solve a problem between Christians. They didn't understand marriage, chapter 7. They were involved in idolatry, chapter 8. They had trouble even with the Lord's Supper. People would get there and eat all the food before the other people got there. Make matters worse, they were really big on their spectacular spiritual gifts, but they didn't think they needed the people with the regular gifts, just the simple gifts of the Spirit. No, if you didn't have some spectacular gift, you were nobody. And some of them claimed to have special knowledge and special wisdom And Paul is writing to this church where some of the people don't even believe anymore, chapter 15, that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's how bad things were in Corinth. And he says to them, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to keep you firm and you are going to be blameless to the end. You ever have a family member who prayed for you and you could tell what the conversation was going to be like after the prayer? This is kind of what Paul does when he prays this prayer of thanksgiving. He says, now God's given you wisdom and knowledge, and you've been enriched in every way. And you can imagine, you know, like if you went home from college and your your family was praying for you, and Lord, help her to study hard, and Lord, help him to do his best in school this semester, and Lord, help him to take responsibility. And you get the feeling, even while they're praying, I know what we're going to talk about after this. They're just setting me up with the prayer. Well, that's kind of what Paul does here. He's saying, okay, you want to talk about wisdom and knowledge? I'll tell you about wisdom and knowledge. God's going to give you all the wisdom and all the knowledge you need because God is faithful. And he has called you into fellowship, koinonia, to share in common with Jesus Christ himself, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called us into fellowship with Him. So what do I see when I look at Tallowood at the beginning of a new year? What I see is a church that committed three years ago that we were going to make disciples, that we were going to make relationships, that we were going to make an impact. And I love the commitment and I see so many good things. I mean, I could just begin to talk about the international ministries and some of our daughter churches and the way they're just blowing up with growth as God is blessing them. Joint prayer meetings between our, our Arabic congregation and our Sudanese congregation praying together in Arabic for God to bring Salem, singing about Salem, about peace. 
Oh, I see all kinds of good things. But I'll just confess, I'm not sure we're as far along the road to discipleship as I want us to be. And I can just start with myself and say, I want for myself that I would grow as a disciple. And I want that for you as well. But I want you to know I have great confidence. And my confidence is not so much in myself and in us. My confidence is in the faithfulness of the God who called us. He started something really good here 54 years ago. And the thing about our God is when He starts something, He always finishes it well. So this is my confidence in us. I have confidence in what God has done. Paul talks about that. I have confidence in what God is going to do. But most of all, I have confidence in what God is doing as Christ is being formed in us, plural. And we are the body of Christ. And He is the head. And we worship Him today because we know that He's faithful. Because we know that He has called us. So some of you like outlines, and just so you know, it may be hard to discern, but I always have an outline. I manuscript everything I preach, every word of it I write down. And so I just want to give you some pegs to hang these thoughts on today to help us as we think about the state of Tallowood in 2017, where we are as a church. And, and the, the first words I would write down are the best foundation. Just two words, best foundation. Second phrase, beautiful fellowship. Third phrase, bright future. So let me just start with the best foundation. So Paul, nine times in these nine verses, talks about Jesus Christ. You get the feeling that the church is not, in the first century at least, anthropocentric. It's not me-centered. It's not about me. It's not about, what, it's not about me. Isn't that what Rick Warren writes at the beginning of his purpose-driven life? It's not about you. First words in the book. Well, you would get that feeling from what Paul is saying. It's not about you. It's about Christ nine times. And here's the thing about Christ. He has called us. He's the one who has called us to be his and to be holy. He has called us to be together. He has given us grace and peace. He's given us all the spiritual gifts that we need. And he's going to come again. So we're waiting for him. And when we do, he's the one who's going to find us firm and blameless in that day because he is Faithful. Let me just kind of break it down and say we're all kind of looking for our calling. I know this because I was looking at some statistics this week. They surveyed a group of young adults and said, how important is it for you to find your purpose in life? And like 87% of them said, I've got to find my purpose in life. And then they asked, how many of you have? And only 30%, 3 in 10, said, I know why I am in this world. In, in Tolstoy's work, uh, Ivan Iliad, she tells about this, this judge who compromises his values, and he comes to this defining moment in his life, and Ivan Ilyich looks back at his life and says, what if my whole life has really been wrong? So I just want to help us today so that at the end of our lives, we're not asking that question. What if my life has really been wrong? No, we can find our calling, and here it is. Paul says, I know my calling. So Paul would never say, what if my whole life has really been wrong? What Paul would say is, I have been called as an apostle by the will of God. So Paul's pretty sure about who he is. He's pretty sure about what God has done in his life. But watch this. He transfers that to them as well and says, God has called you. God has called you, plural. He's writing to this, how do I describe this church? Messed up church. And says, and God 
has called you. You've not been faithful maybe, but He is faithful and He has called you into fellowship with His Son. So it's dependent on God. We declare our dependence on Him today. This God has called us first of all to be His. So He says the church, even in the word church by the way, is the word calling, ecclesia, to be called out. I know that we have a sister church in the city called ecclesia. Let me just give you a, a newsflash. We're all part of ecclesia. We're all part of those who have been called out by God. And what does He call us to? First of all, He calls us to be His. So it says there in verse 2, the church of God. Whose church is it? It's God's church. How do we know that? Well, in chapter 6, He says, you are not your own. Verses 19 and 20, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. This is the foundation of our faith that God has called us to be His. He'll, he'll say in chapter 3, um, other foundation no one can lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Here's the foundation for your life. You want a foundation? Build your life. Build your ministry. Build your home on the infallible goodness of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we are His. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, whom Jesus called a rock, will say, hey, look, church, here's who you are. You're the same people that Israel was in the Old Testament. You're the people of God. Look at the four names He gives to the church. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Some translations say a people belonging to Him. We belong to God. How do we belong to God? Well, He bought us at a high price through the blood of His Son, so we are His. And God, the first calling in your life is to be His, to belong to Him, to know that your whole life is dependent on God because He has called you to be His very own. So I heard a a beautiful uh, song uh, at a funeral. Our friend Bud Hudgens passed away and his grandson quoted at the end, uh, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And those words just sort of jumped off the page for me for the first time. Always, only, all for you. Lord, my life, always, that's all the time, only, exclusively, all in totality for you. We are called to be here. Here's your calling. God wants you to be His not only does God want you to be His, but God also wants you to be holy. So He says it two ways here. He says you're, the, you're sanctified in Christ. And He puts it past tense, which is very interesting because we think of sanctification as a lifelong progress just, process. Just understand that from God's point of view, just like Romans chapter 8, being called and justified and glorified, that's past tense from God's point of view. That's your position. You have been sanctified, but He says you're called to be God's holy people. So Tim Hammond said it this way. He said, we are never going to change the world by going to church. You're thinking, why did I come today? No, we're never going to change the world by going to church. We'll change the world by being the church because being precedes doing. What you do will inevitably flow out of who you are. So if you are His and you are holy, and somebody says, but I don't want to be holy because I don't want to be holier than thou because we know that's like the worst thing. That's worse than death, being holier than thou. Can I just ask you, don't you want to be holier than something? Let me be holy, because holy means to be different, to be set apart for God. G.K. Chesterton said, dead things go with the stream, but only something that's alive can go against the stream. Are you dead or are you alive? Beth Moore at Passion, I understand, talked about this and said, the great temptation for the next generation is this, 
People are going to choose love over truth. And they're going to say, I can be more like Jesus if I'm more accepting and so anything goes. And Paul's writing to this church in Corinth and says, no, everything doesn't go. Not everything goes because you are to be holy, which means different, set apart. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, you shall be holy unto me for I, your God, am holy. In other words, God is saying, I'm different than the other gods. So if you're going to be my people, you should be different. He calls us to be his He calls us to be holy. And this God, first, He uh, tells us that we are built, the church is built upon the best foundation. Second thought, we belong to a beautiful fellowship. Now it's there in verse 9. He's called you into fellowship with His Son. But here's what I want to say to you about being in fellowship with God's Son. If you're in fellowship with God's Son and you have no interest in fellowship with other believers, you may rightly question whether you're really in fellowship with God's Son. Because it turns out that the head, Jesus Christ, actually has a body. And He wants us to be a part of that body. So to be in Christ is to be in the body of Christ, to be with the people of God. And so, look, Paul in verse 1, he's with Sosthenes, whoever that is. We think he might be the one who was beaten up, uh, Acts tells us, uh, there in the synagogue. Maybe it's the same one, and now he's a Christian, and he's with Paul. But Paul says, it's me and Sosthenes, and we're writing to you, you who have been called to be his and to be holy, called to be together, he says in verse 3 called to be, verse 2, to be together with all of God's people. So verse 3, you can receive grace and peace from Him. God wants us to be together with other believers. What What does that look like? What does it mean to be together with other believers? Um, Wow, so uh, Brian Craig Larson sort of captures it in a Uh, in a word. He says, being a church member is a vocation. That's another word for calling. It's a way of life. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality, living at the intersection of human need and God's grace, inhabiting community where men and women who don't fit are welcomed, where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told, where people who don't even have stories find that they do have stories, stories that are part of the Jesus story. Being a church member places us strategically yet unobtrusively at a heavily trafficked intersection between heaven and earth. That's what it means to be a part of the body. I don't know if you noticed over the holidays, but in the news in England was the queen didn't go to church for two weeks in a row. I was like, man, people are keeping track? Wow. I'm glad they don't keep track everywhere, right? I mean, so the queen, two Sundays, she's out of church because she's not feeling well, and it makes national news. Why? Because worship must be very, very important to the queen because on the day that she was given the throne, she said, I recognize that the right to rule resides in the lordship of Jesus Christ. So she knows what it's about. Power comes from God, and she has found her calling in that. But to be together with the people of God, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Verse 24 says, because we need to spur each other on. Agitate. That's the Greek word. Agitate each other to good deeds. Sometimes we've got to aggravate each other and agitate each other so that we can produce good in each other's lives. And this comes when we are together with all of the Lord's people. Have you seen the Google Android commercial 
um, you know, about uh, the piano and the phone. Have you seen that? And basically, you know, piano has 88 keys and each one is different. But, but the, the commercial imagines what if every key just played middle C? How would Beethoven's sonata, Moonlight Sonata, sound? Check this out. It's not quite as good, is it? Be together, not the same, right? Dude can play the piano, right? But don't miss the meaning. And here it is. We need your note. We need the note that only you can play. And Paul's going to say, look, you've got all the spiritual gifts you need. You've got the wisdom. You've got the knowledge. You've got every Christian that got a spiritual gift, he's going to say in chapters 12 to 14. But you've got to love each other, chapter 13. Maybe you heard that at a wedding recently. And what he says is, we need your note. Because nobody else can provide the part that you provide. And in the church, I am convinced, Tallawood has everything we need to do, everything God wants us to do, if we are all fully engaged and using our gifts for His glory. And this is, look, we are built on the best foundation and we belong to a beautiful fellowship. And so, here's the third thought, we believe in a bright future. What struck me as I read these verses over the last several weeks is that Paul could look at a messed up church and say, God's future for you is so incredibly bright. And I've wondered, so how could he say that? He knows the the trouble they're having. How can he say that? And here's the answer, because, because their future is inextricably intertwined with Christ. And Christ's future is very bright. So if the one who's determining your future is going to keep you firm and steadfast, he's going to keep you believing in him. He's going to continue to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's going to continue to give you the gifts that you need to do the work of ministry. Then we as a church really can make a difference in the world, not by just going to church, but by being the church everywhere we go. So think about it. Everywhere you go this week, you are the church. You don't stop being the church when you walk out these doors. You're the church where you work, where you go to school. You're the church. So what difference does it make to be the church? Well, the church is the body of Christ. So where you are, Christ is. And here's the good news. While we're waiting for him to come back, eyes to the sky, he says, here's the good news. He's working in us while we wait. He's working in us. He's about to do something in us and through us that is bigger than we can imagine. So you've got a, a part to play in this bright future. Claude Alexander writes about this and says, this is what it means to be a part of the church as we work together toward this bright future. There's a purpose for your being here. You're meant to answer something, solve something, provide something, lead something, discover something, compose something, write something, say something, translate something, interpret something, sing something, create something, teach something, preach something, bear something, over." come something and in doing so 
You improve the lives of others under the power of God for the glory of God. That's what God's doing. He's building toward this brighter future, and He's going to use people like you and people like me to accomplish His great purpose. So our lives together are not in vain. This is really, really good news. So we put down deep roots into fellowship with him. As Zach Eswine in a recent book said, his mother wrote him a letter, and this is what she wrote Son, a tree has to have roots to provide shade. So can I ask you, what are your roots going down into? If not in Christ, then then what are you putting your roots into? And to put your roots into Christ, to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ, where you are having fellowship, you are sharing in common the life of Christ with other believers means by definition that what God is doing through you, even though it may look bleak, is going to be really really good someday those seeds we plant grow up to be trees this is the kingdom of God a little mustard seed makes a a tree that birds can build their nests in this is what God is doing among us so how do we change the world you look doubtful that we're going to change the world but I, I believe we are and I saw it this week in, in a story of, of a missionary, Nicholas Kristof, who doesn't claim to be a, a believer, writes an op-ed piece for the New York Times some months ago. And in that op-ed piece, he talks about a missionary he knows named Stephen Foster. Here's what he says. I was at a Christmas party, he says, and they were making fun of Christians. And I just thought, if they knew Stephen Foster, they wouldn't make fun of Christians. And then he tells Stephen Foster's story. 37 years ago, Stephen Foster and his wife answered the call of God to become missionaries, like our missionaries who are going to speak tonight in our worship service. Answered God's call. They go to a country, Angola, which um, at that time was under communist rule. And he said the communists would say to him every time that they reapplied for their visa, your churches aren't even going to be here in 20 years. That's what they would say publicly. But privately they would say, you're the only ones that we can get to come in and face the fire of living here. And here's the amazing thing. They were saying that through the years. Your churches are all going to be gone in 20 years. Your church, look, those leaders, they're all gone. But it turns out, the churches are still there. And why are the churches there? Because Stephen Foster and his family, you know, his son got polio. His daughter survived malaria. There was a time when they were limited to rations of food, but they were determined to share those rations with a hundred other people who didn't have food. They nearly starved to death, but they planted their lives in that place and they made a difference. So where has God put you? Houston, Texas? Great. Plant your life here. Let your roots go down deep into Jesus Christ and someday by His grace, This church, through your life, will provide shade for somebody. Here's the good news. God is calling. He is is building us on the best foundation. We belong to a beautiful fellowship. We believe in a bright future. And all of this is about God's calling in our lives. So in 2016, I learned some new phrases that I had never heard before. Um, Fake news. That was kind of in the news, wasn't it? And post-truth, we live in a post-truth world. But here's the one that sort of got me, the word FUB. Some of you know what FUB means, right? So somebody tries to call you, you look down and you go, not now, and you just put the phone away. You phone snub them, you have FUBbed them. Don't tell me you don't do it. I know you do. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't FUB God. God's calling. 
He's calling you to be His. He's calling you to be holy. He's calling you to be together with God's people. He is calling you to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, don't fub Him. Because when God calls, and we answer that call, and we call upon His name, Paul says, we're saved. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your amazing call in our lives. I pray, Lord, that You would give us, like Isaiah, the ears of disciples so that we would have words that help other people. If we don't hear You well, we're not going to speak in ways that actually help other people. But I thank You, Lord, in this place that You're up to something. You're up to something in us and You want to do something through us. And Lord, we just want to say yes to your will, your will, Lord, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, but your will for our lives, for your church at Tallowood in this new year. And God, for whatever you purpose to do in this year, we want to say to you, yes, Lord, we believe in your purpose and your plan. And we receive it. And we ask you to make much of Jesus in us because you are faithful. And you have called us into fellowship with your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be our Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.